Hello everyone, this is You've Got 5 Options, a radio show where we prove that 5 is a magic number. Our experts will give you 5 tips on how to make your private or professional life better. We will solve your life challenge by giving you 5 different options to choose from. And our guests will answer 5 exciting questions while live on air. Tune in and feel the magic of 5. Hello everyone, this is Marta. And this is Anna. And this is You've Got 5 Options show. Yes, and Marta... Okay, so I wanted to say yes. something that I feel so bad because on our live show, which didn't go so live at the beginning, we did not mention something so important. Our beloved technician has birthday today. Yes. Happy birthday, Dennis. Oh. Thank you. Yes, and we have for, forgot. Did we know in the first place? Because maybe yeah. we couldn't he forget. He wrote an email saying about it, but the problem was that the email was like two weeks ago. And, you know, a lot has happened in two weeks. Mm -hmm. And anyway, I wanted to say, Dennis, so, so, so happy birthday to you. And we are so happy to be able to be here at the studio, go through all the stress of not going live, <laughs> yeah. not going on air. And, you know, uh, and then you saving the whole thing with the old equipment and now trying the new equipment out. So I yeah. feel we bounded, bounded today even more because, you know, people are getting connected through a very traumatic experiences like you know not going live or uh, IT failure or technological failure so I think we are even closer uh, so maybe that's our um, subconscious birthday present <laughs> from us to you I'm trying Marta I'm trying you're to. really trying yeah. you're really trying mm -hmm. and then again Dennis has forgotten his microphone because yes it would have been nice if you could guys also hear Dennis, but you can't. But what <laughs> who you can hear is our guest today, yes. Estefania. Yes. Is hello, our and hello, Anna. Yes. Oh, that's a nice radio voice. Yes. Nice radio voice. Yes. Confirmed. 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 Yes. So today we have an amazing topic and I have been really looking forward to this show. The topic is Humans at the center, how to bring the basics back to the new era of journalism. And we did not came with this title. It was actually Estefania who came with this title and we allowed it because it was very nicely phrased. And that's because you are a journalist. That's correct. That's yeah. correct. So today we have an expert journalist talking about journalism. Mm -hmm. So guys, I will not shock you if I will tell you that I have met uh, Estefania on LinkedIn Local. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as, as you already know, this is our secret hub. This is where we are, uh, you know, having a casting for our guests. They just don't know it. Yes, I have to yeah. say that LinkedIn uh, Local in Aarhus gathers a lot of uh, international talents. It's yeah. a really nice place to meet people, for sure, also to cast for your program. Yeah. Yeah, and That's Anna true. and I, we have uh, we have this uh, season, as you know, going back to the roots. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, journalism is something that is uh, especially interesting for Anna because she has this journalistic bone inside of her. <laughs> I don't know. It sounds weird, but... Uh, I don't know, Marta. For the last Jean? two days, I don't know what what exactly is your vibe here, <laughs> but it's... Jean. Journalistic Jean. Slash... <laughs> I don't know. It's not it's, perfect. It's not the first time she has done it, you know. Like, uh, you challenged me on our event yesterday that I, I uh, because yesterday was a, by the way, okay, so we will reveal this. Uh, we are recording this show, and Marta wanted to reveal that, of course. Uh, so yesterday was 21st of March, and it was a spring equinox. So we actually were holding an event. Uh, for uh, some brave people and we were basically celebrating the new beginning <laughs> and I have a couple of ideas on how people could celebrate Spring Equinox and one of them was open a window and go for a walk and uh, Marta had a very strange suggestions that I'm inviting no, burglars. Because, yeah, because <laughs> point number five was decluttering you know, and you were talking how good it is to get rid of stuff and then point number six is open the window <laughs> and go for a walk so I thought you wanted the burglar to help with the decluttering. No, that was not my intention. Uh, and uh, yeah, so uh, since yesterday, Marta has that kind of interesting. Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. let's settle with journalistic gene. Yeah, yeah. But that's better yes. than the bone. And <laughs> I've met Estefania and I just had a very good vibe. And I was like, you know, I just like, Estefania, are you free on Friday? I, let's just hit it off. Let's talk about journalism. And we've met. We had a very good meeting and we cooked this content for you guys. And Estefania came up with the title. But let's start with Estefania. So tell us what brought you to Denmark all the way from Colombia. Well, to begin with, thank you again for the invitation. I'm very happy to be here. Very happy to meet you finally, Anna. I've been listening to some of your episodes before. Really oh. nice program. And well, I came to Denmark because I was working in Colombia as a journalist. I used to work for the most viewed TV newscast in Colombia, but I always had in mind that I wanted to go for a master's abroad. I had been studying French because I thought maybe in Europe, France would be a, a country which culture was closer to Latin American culture. I liked the language, but in this uh, journey to look uh, looking for a master's here in Europe, I found the Mundus Journalism program, which is the master's I made. It's an Erasmus Mundus program, and I was granted one of their scholarships. So this is an amazing scholarship. Is uh, I think by far the only full scholarship for journalism masters. So I quit my job and I came to live the life of a paid student, one year here in Aarhus and one year in London. And I graduated last year, came back to Denmark and now settling down here in Aarhus. Can, can I ask you uh, why did you come back to Denmark and didn't stay in London? Just I'm asking for a friend. Yes, well, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> I think that immigration issues, it was one big part of it. I mm -hmm. think I had great expectations of finding a job in London. There are plenty of jobs for journalists, for sure, in London. It's not that easy to get a sponsorship when you're a non-EU citizen. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the reasons. Okay. The second reason is that I have a Danish boyfriend. So uh, okay, that explains a lot. Yes. So, of course, I have something that links me very strongly mm -hmm. to Denmark. I like Denmark. I also like 
tech and innovation a lot. I think we will be talking a little bit about innovation during this uh, episode today. And Denmark is definitely the hub for tech and innovation in the world right now. I think it's greatly competing with Silicon Valley, with other places in the world, especially Aarhus. It's a great city to be in uh, when you want to follow very closely the trends in innovation. Mm-hmm. So that's I, I definitely so could agree. Yeah. Anna, you have something on your mind, maybe hmm. for later? No, uh, maybe for later. <laughs> no, I was just thinking that actually because I, I just started to work in a in a in technological company here in Aarhus. It's a small company uh, and it it is doing, uh, I would say, really super interesting things. You know, it's 3D printing for That's every great. every basically household. And I was just thinking when you told me that. Uh, it can compete with Silicon Valley. I find that really interesting. Yes, it's going very fast, very quick. Mm-hmm. The, the evolution and the progress here in Europe, it's been led definitely by Denmark and the Nordics. Mm. Absolutely. Yes, and congratulations on your job. I heard you got a job being six months pregnant. That's quite a, yes. an achievement. Yes, I, I did. Uh, so I h- could say that my company is innovative in many <laughs> ways. It's not only technological, but also approach to employment is... Uh, is quite creative. Can we mention the name of the company? Of course we can. So Sculpto, congratulations. (laughs) Okay, I'm not going to be mean. You got yourself something special. (laughs) That's mean. (laughs) No, that's not mean. That's very special. We are friends for more than 20 years. What can I say? You You can say, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so Sculpto seems like a really great innovative uh, company that is also very open to open to humans and mm-hmm. you know things that come with humanity like pregnancy and babies and stuff. Yeah, I, I do have to say that chances of landing a job six months pregnant when you cannot wrap yourself in poncho or a blanket mm. when you are going on a job <laughs> interview and you are just going out there and you are actually trying for a position that is, uh, I would say, a managerial position that's. Uh, uh, that that is something. I'm I I am impressed with myself and with Sculpto. Yeah, yeah. yes, a really great. But that it was just a good match, you know. Yeah, match made in heaven. We'll see about that. Match imprinted in 3D. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm really curious. What else will you come up with today? The night is young. Uh, yes, the night is very young. I would say <laughs> it's just three forty-seven p.m. <laughs> so the night is very young. Very young. Very okay, young. so Estefania, uh, we know now why you're here in Aarhus, and uh, tell us how easy it is to be a journalist coming from Colombia to a city of Aarhus. Well, there are many aspects of the way journalism is being done that are radically, dif- radically different from Latin America, I would say, and Europe, but more specifically Colombia and Denmark. Journalism is Denmark, I would say it's extremely hyper-local. Of course, it's done in Danish. Um, in Colombia, we have several issues, issues to cover. Society is very complex. The circumstances are completely different. So there are many stories going on all the time. Well, in Denmark, um, journalism is very political as well. It matters a lot what is happening in the parliament. It matters a lot what politicians are talking about. Definitely taxes. It's a matter that it's always in the mm-hmm. news, right on the news. It's it's right there all the time. So the topics are different. The approach is different. It, Journalism in Denmark is a lot more investigative because, of course, you have a lot more time in Denmark when you don't have to cover tragedies, when you don't have to cover day-to-day 
crazy things happening on the streets, journalists have a lot more time to actually search for information way deeper and be more investigative. So yes, uh, in Aarhus, as a journalist and in Denmark, an international journalist is difficult if you don't know the language, but even if you knew the language, the barriers on the format are also quite quite big. On the other hand, I think journalists, uh, we have a, a lot of skills, like a set of skills that can be applied to many fields that are not necessarily traditional media. Oh, we all know that Danish um, economy is basically run by business. Business is what runs the economy in Denmark. And in business, soft skills are very important. Soft skills considering empathy, charisma, people's skills, right? So I think that are some of the journalistic skills that you can apply into the job market in Denmark. Maybe it's a little bit more difficult to go into traditional media, but we'll see about that. Well, you've mentioned skills, so I just can't avoid but by uh, but ask you one of our favorite questions. Mm-hmm. If apocalypse came, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which of your skills as journalist could you use for the survival of yourself or maybe humanity? Okay, I think definitely stress management. A journalist, especially journalists who work in traditional media or have worked in traditional media, we know a lot about deadlines and mm-hmm. working under time pressure. That gives you high skills, high stress management skills. And I consider myself to be very resourceful as well. When you're a journalist, when you're on the field, when you're all, all the time out on the streets, you have to sort many unexpected things that happen from traffic jams, from uh, breaking news, from a lot of uh, unexpected situations. And you need to have the skills to manage that on the go without much time. So I think in the apocalypse, being resourceful and having mm, quite a good management of stress could be very useful. Okay. Oh, definitely. Great. Okay, let's dig in into journalism. We have okay. agreed uh, to talk a little bit about the values, the founding values of journalism. Tell That's us. Correct. Tell us, girl. Okay, I think this is really interesting to begin with because uh, with all the things happening in the world, we tend to forget what is exactly that journalists are, suppo- are supposed to be doing and what makes an event be newsworthy. This has also changed over time, but to begin with, the main journalism criteria, I have a list here of a couple of things, are the following. First of all, proximity. This has been changing due to globalization, but it's still very important. How close to you is an event happening Mm -hmm. for you to matter, for you to care about it? for it to matter to your audience. So that's why, for example, you're most likely to get news and information from the place you're living more easily because proximity is still one of the main criteria. On the other hand, uh, the relevance, how relevant is the event for the people and for for the audience? Uh, Topicality, this is very important that the event is current. Uh, Journalism, unless it's investigative journalism, doesn't really focus on events that have already happened in the past. It's mainly about what's happening right now, especially nowadays. Another one would be the originality, something that is uh, different, something that is out of the ordinary, when something that disrupts your reality, that disrupts your uh, routine or the routine of a place, that's definitely something that new, that's newsworthy. Something that I am pretty sure you guys have heard about, also objectivity. There is a huge debate and there has always been a huge debate whether or not objectivity can actually exist. 
because journalism is, is done by humans and humans, we are subjective. We are subjective for everything we say is biased by our culture, by our own beliefs. So I, I'd rather say that it's not objectivity, it's more about impartiality. Mm-hmm. Journalism, the journalistic foundations demand that journalism is impartial, that whenever you say something, you give balance to it. You give like both versions, either two versions of the story or as many versions as there can be of a story. And the last one here in my list, and I think the most important and what we want to focus on today is the human aspect of journalism, humans at the center, which is the, the title of this episode. I always say journalism is done by humans, for humans and about humans, no matter what the story is about. It can also be about climate change. It can be about animals. Humans are always the most important part of a journalistic story. So that's something that needs to be remembered. Yeah, thank you for that, because what I have noticed recently, and that is very true for Poland. Mm-hmm. That um, I did consider, you know, coming from communistic uh, background, you know, mm-hmm. where there was a lot of propaganda and there was mm-hmm. a lot of, um, you know, news and uh, everything was so restricted and we could not have the free word, so to speak, for many years in Poland mm-hmm. and being born still in this kind of uh, in this kind of country when we were finally free to say, you know, media was such a great thing. And mm-hmm. and even during the communism time, whoever could sneak in through the propaganda mm-hmm. and all the messages yeah. that could be sent, it was such an amazing building power, you know, yes. the, the real uh, journalism, the mm-hmm. impartial one, the original one and so on. And I have considered it like when, when finally we can be free with it, it will be so amazing. And then we had this boom of, you know, free journalism. Yes. And now... And this is so many people, so many close people talk about it, that now media and journalism is an extremely, uh, the power that breaks the society. It's the force Ex- power. Yeah, extremely partial, <laughs> so mm-hmm. to speak, you know, the TV radio stations, they are so clearly, uh, you know, pro this political party or mm-hmm. against that political party. And um, people, you know, the way that news are shown in different uh, TV stations is extreme, depending on, you know, which party you are after. People who actually live in Poland and who actually participate in events, and then they see it on TV, they cannot mm-hmm. recognize the truth in yes. what they participated in and what is shown on TV. Yes. And it just saddens me <laughs> a lot because, you know, I have experienced this time when we were waiting to be free and to be able to have the free media and so on. And then went through a boom and then, you know, suddenly it became so negative and people feel like when I have seen news, I feel depressed. Yes. My fear level increase increases. I feel like my country is doing really bad. Whereas Poland, you know, in many objective terms is actually doing really well and growth, you know, economical growth has been for many years up, even during the recession in 2008, you know, during the crisis, Poland has been doing so well. But the way it is done, you know, Mm -hmm. in media, people feel that we are doing so bad that, you know, it's so much negativity. So I'm really curious to hear from you. How do you think it has happened, you know, to go so 
Yes. Well, before I go deep into this uh, very interesting question, I'm going to say that I totally feel you because I come from Colombia and I was doing journalism in Colombia and I never felt like the thing was so bad until I actually came to Europe and spent two years here only hearing from my country through the news, of course, also through my friends and family. But definitely the image I got of my own country from my own country through the news was completely, it was a false perception of what was really happening. It was a lot more negative than what it actually was, to the point that when I, when I first went back to Colombia for the holidays, I was panicking. I was afraid that something was going to happen to me, that it was so dangerous, that because this perception I got through the news was very much not what it was in reality. So I totally feel you when you talk about the Polish situation as well. And I think that for the lack of a better a word, as you said yesterday, yes, journalism is very negative. I would call it um, deconstructive as well. But there are many reasons why this happened and why we have reached this point. I think to begin with, it's very important to make a differentiation between what is journalism, what is media, right? Because journalism is mm -hmm. not the same as media and what is social communications. For instance, my bachelor's and what I studied was social communications and journalism. They are not the same. Social communications involves propaganda, involves other it, advertising, marketing, other forms of the way society communicates, right? It's also important to remember that communication as a word from, comes from community comes from communality, what is common to all of us. So it's a, journalism is part of the communication and media is something that is different than journalism. So of course, the criteria that I was talking about before may not apply to media. It applies to the ideal of what journalism ought to be, not necessarily what it is, not necessarily what media is. I think the most important or the main reason why we have become so negative or media has become so negative, not journalism, is because it's a business. It's meant to make money. It's meant to sell. So the criteria of journalism now has other added criteria in order for it to be something that brings money, that, that you can profit off. These new criteria or added criteria to journalism by media involves, for example, the exclusivity. It's not, I wouldn't say that exclusivity is necessarily a criteria of journalism. It's a criteria of media. We got the, ex this, the exclusive information. We got the scoop, right? Nobody else has it. That's something pretty much of the media dynamics. Also, immediacy, especially when uh, television, the rise of television, later the rise of digital media, everything is more immediate. It's not no longer about what's current. It's what about what's happening now. So this sense of breaking news, so breaking it, let's break break the program, break the routine. We have to have something that's happening right now. Let's go live. That has also changed the dynamics and made a journalist look for a lot more in things that impact people more so they can actually break kind of their routine. Also, well, we have to say this is a, a, something that it's a big problem within media that is sensationalism. Media has become a lot more sensational because it's trying to approach people's attention. It's trying to look for people's attention to provoke the public, right? And um, I have here a nice definition of what sensationalism is that I found on Wikipedia. I know that you're a big fan of Wikipedia and I think that's something we have in common. I also think it's a great 
uh, example of collaboration. It says, uh, pieces are overhyped to present biased impressions on events, to provoke the public interest or excitement. So it approaches people's sensations and feelings, right? And um, of course, the, the last one that I'm going to mention here is the problem of ownership of the media, because it's no secret to anybody that the owners of media across the world are very linked or very closely linked to politicians or to political interest or economic interest. Rich people, insanely rich people, is the one who owns the media. So journalists end up serving the interest of an economic group no matter where. So all these other foundations of journalism become a second priority or a third, no longer the value of journalism is the value of the media, right? And um, definitely when the quality of a media, of media and journalism is measured by rating, by readerships, by audience, nowadays by clicks, it doesn't really matter how how good the information is, how balanced, how impartial. It becomes more important how much people like it, right? So that's also something that has led journalism towards being so negative, so negative. And that has also, I think we discussed it uh, when we were cooking this program, has also uh, created a massive uh, epidemic of compassion fatigue. Have you heard about compassion fatigue? Yeah. Yes. So um, I was reading this morning because, of course, I've read about compassion fatigue in the context of media. But this morning I was trying to look for a nice definition of it. And it's actually a psychological syndrome. Right. And it's described as uh, secondary traumatic stress. And it's something suffered by people who work directly with victims of disasters, of trauma or of illness. So uh, this reminded me that anytime somebody with depression or anxiety or any other common mental disorder goes to a psychologist or to a therapist, first thing they recommend is do not watch the news. Mm -hmm. Stop it. Stop it completely because it creates a lot of anxiety and a lot of stress. So when people have this compassion fatigue through media, they become less empathic, empathetic, right? Yeah, the, because the they see the same thing over and over again. Yes. Another earthquake, another mm. victim, another accident, another murder. And then you basically just get used to that and you, you lose your empathy. It's famine and war. Mm -hmm. They suddenly become your normal. We yeah. normalize. We normalize this, exactly. And unfortunately, these are not normal circumstances, right? But unfortunately, we have normalized them through the approach of media mm -hmm. to these events. Especially that they are actually picked up on purpose because this is what, by definition, sells. So when we watch the news, we have a feeling that there is a murder happening everywhere, every time, all the time, that there is a catastrophe everywhere, that the bus is crashing, plane is crashing, because there is so much negativity there. The thing is that those are probably, I don't know, one to two percent of events in the world. But because those are the events that are actually the headlight, the headlight is on. We have a feeling that this is the reality. Reality consists only of those things. And then we get used to it and we start to basically perceive it as a as a normality. Yeah, that's actually quite impressive because nowadays 
and nobody would believe it, but we do live in the most peaceful time yeah. ever recorded exactly. by human history. We have the least amount of children dying all over the world. Mm -hmm. Most of the people have access to drink, drinking water. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, there are not as many murders due to crime or war as they used to be, for example, First World War, Second World War. But we tend, everybody thinks that it's a really bad time for humanity. Yeah, exactly. I'm not saying that we're doing well because I think the world is going to end because of climate change issues. I really think that's very something tragic that is happening to our society. But, in, but many other issues are at its best right yeah. now. But yeah. our perception is at its worst. Yeah, exactly. This is really, really sad. And therefore, we have an answer to it in mm -hmm. innovative and new ways of approaching journalism, right? And that's really, really interesting. And I'm really looking forward to this part. And the first uh, topic uh, I would like to bring is the constructive journalism. Yeah. So tell us a little bit what is constructive constructive journalism all about? Okay, so I mentioned before that for a lack of a better world, we, uh, sorry, word, we would say that journalism or media tends to be negative, right? I, I said, let's better call it deconstructive mm -hmm. or destructive, mm -hmm. because I think constructive journalism is the counterpart for it. It's trying to counterbalance that. I would like to start by answering your question, uh, telling you what constructive journalism is not. I say it's not about positive stories because people say, I know, so let's go as journalists and now talk about things that make people happy. Let's talk about nice things that are happening around. That is not constructive journalism. Talking about positive things is not what it is. It's neither activism, it's not uh, to put the journalist in the middle of a social issue and to advocate for communities or to advocate for minorities, for example, that's not necessarily constructive journalism. It can, it can be a part of it, but it's not activism because activism then wouldn't be partial, right? Um, it's definitely not promoting heroes because nowadays we have a lot of programs, reality shows that want to pretend like they are kind of journalistic in which they promote the heroes of our society, which is very uplifting. I think we should recognize as society the efforts of individuals and small communities uh, towards betterment, but that's not necessarily constructive journalism either. And it's not dumped down trivial or happy news. This is something I got from this book that I'm holding right now. This is a, a, a book called Constructive News. It's actually written by a Dane who used to run or be the editor-in-chief of TR. Mm -hmm. And he is now the director of the Constructive News Institute that is based in Aarhus University. And they have this amazing vision and mission of uh, promoting this constructive news model all around the world. So this is from, from that book that I'm quoting. And uh, I think the problem is that news, as they are being told, are giving people a false picture of reality. That's what we were talking about. So constructive news is actually giving people a more accurate picture of reality, a more balanced picture. If we are going to show the problem, which we need to show, we're not going to hide it. Why don't we also show the solutions? Why don't we also show what is actually happening in the world to balance that out, balance mm -hmm. those problems out, right? So what it is, very basic, very in simple world, words, is going back to those basics, going back to those foundations of journalism that we were talking about at the beginning of this show, going back to being impartial, 
going back to being balanced, going back to being original, going back to the most important, which is the human aspect of the story. I think that is constructive journalism and it's being uh, categorized as probably the most important current trend in journalism right now, the constructive news approach. I have a couple of examples of these. I don't know if you've seen a video that it's a little bit viral or has gone a little bit viral the past month. It's about Venezuela. Of course, Venezuela, it's all over the news now. And it's a, a guy in Spain uh, asking people what do they know about the situation of Venezuela. And then he's giving a lot of uh, statistics and saying, okay, they... What do you think of a society that has uh, this percentage of poverty, this percentage of unemployment, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And then he asked, what would you what would you say if I tell you that these numbers are from Spain, not from Venezuela? And people were like, no, that's that's not possible. That's absolutely not possible because people have this false picture of reality and they didn't even know that poverty could be happening actually in Spain. They were considering that it still had to be with Venezuela, right? So that's a matter of perception. And there's also a good example of uh, what constructive journalism is. It's a website called The World's Best News. It's also a Danish initiative. I would encourage you to check it out, The World's Best News, in which this uh, constructive journalism model is being implemented very successfully. I think that the uh, I, I really like what you what what you presented here. I haven't met the constructive journalism term uh, so far. Well, I I know I can intuitively sense what it is, but I didn't know that this is like let's call it almost like a science now. But I think the uh, one of the main problems is that uh, media outlets are indeed very much controlled, and people are very used to turning on TV, because I'm thinking about it, you know, how people could even approach that kind of constructive news. You would have to actually make an effort. You would have to find either independent platforms or independent TV. And many times we live in this just a fast circle. So we come home from work, we turn the TV and then we watch the news or we turn the radio on and we pick up the certain stations, right? Uh, So I think that There are definitely some sort of uh, issues with with the fact that we are just used to receiving news from certain outlets. And uh, I can definitely see that in Poland uh, with my mom. My mom is very much used to those things. I have stopped watching uh, news, I think, four years ago. Mm completely and by by this this is basically journalistic news basically what happens every day i am a way happier person mm-hmm. And I really didn't find any value. I have actually tried to think how my life has changed or my decisions have changed while I watch news uh, or not watch news and actually my life has improved. Um, but many people are just, uh, this is such an integral part of your life. Like, yes, it's seven o'clock, I watch news and you know, and you don't even realize that you are being bombarded with a certain things. So I think it also requires a certain awareness building for people to understand uh, that, um, that the journalism is as it is and it can be different. I think that many journalists within the media, the traditional media, are trying to approach news from a more constructive mm-hmm. point of view. I don't think that it's not being done. I think it is being done. I also think that it's a little bit complicated because um, 
there are dynamics in especially uh, traditional media and from my personal experience working on TV, when you try to propose something that is innovative, that it's new, that it's a different approach, you suddenly get this uh, answer that, okay, television is already invented. Mm-hmm. Let's not try to invent something new because this is we have done it like this for 25 years, 30 years. Why would we do it differently? This is the strategy that works. This is what gives us rating. We cannot risk the rating. The rating. We cannot risk mm-hmm. the audience. We cannot lose our readership for trying something new. So there is a fear of losing money that it's definitely mm, pushing back the progress towards constructive mm-hmm. news. But on the other hand, there are proliferating independent media, is proliferating, independent mm-hmm. journalists are, are, are working on their own. And that's mm-hmm. also counterbalancing. Also, television, it's in absolute decline. It's in such decline that big brands are actually withdrawing their advertisement from television and taking mm-hmm. it to internet, taking it to digital, because nobody, I mean, a lot of people do, but compared to 10 years ago, almost nobody is watching TV anymore. And people such as you did are taking a conscious and active decision of not watching TV, of not buying newspapers, mm-hmm. completely withdrawing from it. So, But would you say that this is also something uh, uh, generational? Because I could definitely see that the generation of my mom is still very attached to the TV and to the traditional media outlets. Uh, and I would say that my generation or younger people, they are definitely taking news from other places. That would be my first question. So is it generational? And the second question is, um, here in Denmark, I had a feeling that people are watching TV like crazy. Mm-hmm. Am I am I correct? Okay, I know it's two questions at the same okay. time. Let's try to go through them. I think part of it big part of it it's a generational change a generational yes Mm -hmm. absolutely i think a lot more younger people are taking the conscious decision of not watching any more tv or listening to radio or going to traditional media to get their Mm -hmm. information from i also think that slowly but actually faster than what i thought it was going to happen older generations as my mom for example are actually switching to digital i think it takes a little bit more effort for them because we were born with this media, mm-hmm. right? We, it, yep. it comes naturally for us to take the phone, to take the computer. But uh, older generations are so aware that this is happening that they are also switching towards digital very mm-hmm. fast or faster than I thought it would happen. So I think it's generational, but I think that older generations are switching. And uh, for your second question, mm-hmm. well, let's say that I am not quite informed about it, I do know that Denmark has the highest rates of streaming online of Europe and most likely of the whole world. Uh, video, it's a big thing. People might not watch TV on the TV, mm-hmm. but they are streaming the news a lot as well. Really? Streaming the news and streaming some other contents too, but Whoa. definitely streaming the news for sure. So, um, Yes, I think that as every other society, there is a part of it that is still sticking a lot to mm-hmm. TV, but with a more critical approach. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, in, in, in Poland, but in Colombia and in many places of the world, people believe in what TV says, like if it's the absolute truth. Yeah. We need to do this because we watch it on TV. That's just a perfect argument, perfect valuable argument for mm-hmm. people. Nowadays, people might watch TV, but do not believe so much. As, mm-hmm. as before, I okay. would say so. 
Now, uh, my my uh, question about the Danish uh, TV or basically Danes watching TV. Okay, there is a tiny bit stalkerish background, but many times when I come back home in the evening and, you know, you see the ground level apartments and Danes, they don't really cover their houses. For some reason, there are no curtains. So you can see and I can see TV on in every single window i and i it's it's programs it's uh, i can see some news mm-hmm. or even early in the morning i can see the morning news this kind of like you know uh, hello denmark good morning mm-hmm. denmark and so on at the beginning i didn't pay attention then i started to pay attention i was like is it really mm, like this you know because every single al- almost every single apartment on the street I'm walking towards the train station has a TV on in the morning mm. and in the evening. If I wanted, I could watch it, actually. But mm. I will not do it, of course. Mm-hmm. But uh, that was actually something interesting. So I was wondering, is it only my street or maybe Danes are still watching TV? I think it's a, it's traditional, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's a tradition to turn on the TV in the morning. Yeah, For it many could people, be. Well, out of tradition. I uh, think it's very interesting if Danes are or are not watching <laughs> still a lot of TV since we don't have any information to yes. back it up or not. I would like to make sure that we have a little bit of time because we have two super interesting mm-hmm. topics. And if we want to have at least a few minutes per each of them, let's move into innovation journalism. Mm-hmm. That's something yes. that you are really interested in, right? Yes, as I was mentioning earlier, I am very much into innovation in general. And of course, journalism is my background and it's also my passion. So. I am very much into innovation journalism. I think this is a concept that it's not new. The first time that it was brought up in research and in the academic world was in 2003. So it's not that recent. In 2008, the World Economic Forum uh, decided or stated that innovation journalism was one of the seven key dimensions for discussing the redefinition of the media and its roles in global interconnected society. So I want to say two things about this. One is the importance of the Global Economic Forum. The Global Economic Forum uh, has a head whose name is uh, Klaus Schwab. He's also uh, the person who wrote the book Fourth Industrial Revolution. The Fourth Fourth Industrial Revolution is a book that talks about all the changes and how uh, innovation and technology is crossing completely every single aspect of life and how our lives are so quickly changing because of new technologies. And uh, they are definitely the authority on this matter. And uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is the importance of these two concepts, the global and interconnected world that we're living. At the beginning in the foundations of journalism, we were talking about how a proximity is such an important criteria for, for journalists, or it should be, or it used to be, or it ought to be. But nowadays living in such a globalized world, everybody heard about what happens in New Zealand, no matter where in the world we were, because there were other criteria behind that were more important than the proximity. Nowadays, things are so interconnected as well that what happens in one place of the world impacts immediately the other side of it. So uh, this also gives a new approach to journalism. And and actually, I wanted to say that I found out uh, about New Zealand from someone who has shared an article or wrote a little note about it on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. I didn't went on any news. 
I because I as I said I don't really read news, I don't watch news. And then I was like, okay, what happened in New Zealand? And now I realized how much of news I learned from social media. Yeah, and that's the last point that we have ah, that okay. I really Sorry. really am looking forward okay. to have a yeah. little bit of time. So let's just And I uh, will back out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But it's it was the new New Zealand was the keyword, so I it yeah. just yeah. pop out. And the second most important, like the second uh, thing that I want to talk about this innovation journalism topic, it's, of course, Internet, algorithms, open data. These are all factors that are changing the way we consume and we generate information and distribute it as well. Uh, fact checking. Definitely all these technologies are helping journalists fact check much quicker and in a way more accurate way. Artificial intelligence and virtual and augmented reality are completely changing the way journalism is done. User-generated content, as you say, people nowadays broadcast from their phones and media can no longer say that something did happen or did not happen without people online saying, okay, no, I have the, I have the video here, check it out. So yeah. all of this is changing completely the landscape, and that's why innovation journalism is so important. I have two very uh, illustrative examples of this. There was also a very viral video going on last year, at the end of last year. Do you remember the Hurricane Florence that uh, mm-hmm. happened in yeah. South and North Carolina in yeah. the United States? It was devastating. There was this newscast from the Weather chan- uh, Channel in the United States that used augmented reality to show how the water would look like uh, around you uh, during a flooding. So because the whole area was flooding and people were not evacuating, they decided to use augmented reality in the news set to flood the whole newsroom. So at some point, the, the journalist or the anchor was completely covered by water using augmented reality in the newsroom. So this is very visual. This is It creates a lot of impact and it's mm-hmm. very, very innovative. These are the kind of resources that journalists are using more and more to, well, impact, generate more mm-hmm. impact as well. And this is, this pops so many things to my head and so many like, you know, ethics. Uh, this can be really good about it. This can be potentially dangerous about it, but we by no means have time for it. Dennis, yeah. how much time do we have? Because I didn't check the exact... 14, 14 oh, minutes. Okay. Then, then can I give you a couple of more examples of yeah. this innovation journalism? So speaking of Poland, last year in October, I went to two really interesting events. One of them was called the Outriders Summit. It's a network, Outriders Network. And the other one was a Digital Cultures, Digital Cultures Conference. And here I got to see so many interesting, very interesting um, initiatives some of them journalistic, some of them artistic, but from those, the ones were, that were journalistic, two of them really caught my attention. One of them was a game for phones that it's called Bury Me My Love. Bury Me My Love. It's made by a company that is called the Pixel Hunt. It's a French, French company and it's a texting game. And it's based on real stories of Syrian refugees. So when you play the game, you will be all the time texting with a woman that's trying to escape from from Syria, from the Syrian war. Mm -hmm. And through the whole game, you're following her path or her journey all the way to Europe and how she's trying to to escape from 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 the war. So it's it's a storytelling, it's a video game or well, yeah, it's a it's a computer game. It can be played on the computer or on the mobile phone and it's journalistic because it's based on real testimonies of Syrian refugees. Mm-hmm. So these are very nice initiatives that make people feel a lot more 
feel empathy, the empathy mm-hmm. that we've lost due to compassion fatigue. Mm-hmm. So this is uh, some of the some of the nice. And the other one was uh, facial recognition. There is this uh, interesting software that is being developed by uh, a lab in Harvard. So it's basically uh, how how can you use facial recognition to scan through uh, television footage and find people that have been recorded in the past. So one of the examples that the developer of this software was giving uh, was the Monica Lewinsky case. Mm-hmm. When the Monica Lewinsky case happened, they had to have a whole crew of journalists to look for hours through the footage of the official official footage of, of the presidency mm-hmm. of the United States because they knew Monica Lewinsky had to be somewhere in the footage. Mm-hmm. But they had to go manually, and yeah. people had watch to do it. it. Watch, yeah. watch it and watch it until they found her. Nowadays, this can be done very fast, very quickly, thanks to facial recognition. So it's also helping immediacy in journalism. All these innovative resources and stalkery, and stalkery, <laughs> and stalkery. <laughs> yeah. No, as I'm saying, uh, you know, a lot of I can just see that we could do a whole season of it again. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, looking because I, I agree with you, Marta. There is so many like a positive things, but also dangerous things coming with this technology that comes to my mind. I don't even know where to start. Yeah. But uh, even this refugee game, you know, you can easily manipulate yeah. and choose and a certain information, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And how how high can you get that compassion before you reach the compassion fatigue again? again. So, mm-hmm. so because of the topic is so rich, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. we have to choose an angle to it. And I propose that the angle is closely linked to the last uh, part that we've had mm-hmm. for today, which is social media journalism and how to break the information bubble, because that links back to what you started mm-hmm. to say about, about New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And that's also part of the innovation, right? That mm-hmm. we are now so communicating so much and doing so much journalism with the use of social media. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think this could be a whole topic. Yes, the topic yeah, about definitely. social yes. media. So basically, I would say a little bit more than 15 years ago, newspapers switched to online in like the first version of the World Wide Web, the www, yeah. the internet. Yeah. So what journalists or what media was doing was copy and pasting to the new platform, which was the internet. Following that, people could actually interact with the content. So they could leave comments, they could write something about it, they could start putting some other angles on the story and anybody could do it, right? So um, I think journalism has uh, been a field that has been very elitist for some time. So Mm -hmm. information is power. We hold the information as journalists and then suddenly anybody could suddenly the information was all over the place. So this is a huge change that came with social media. And I think this has a lot more to do with communications, social communication, than what it has to do with journalism. As I was mentioning earlier, it's not the same thing. Social media, as I see it, belongs more to the social communication realm than to the journalism realm. But journalism is a big part of it. So. After the online journalism or the online press came, then the citizen journalism came when anybody could could just write. And there was a huge debate on whether or not anybody distributing information could call themselves a journalist. So um, this is also an ethical debate, but I do think that anybody with information has, of course, the right to distribute it. The journalists 
or people who have a certain background and certain criteria are the ones who can balance it, are the ones who can write like a whole story with a human aspect. I'm not saying that you need to study journalism to do this, but you do have to have a certain journalistic background or journalism criteria to do this. So um, definitely what came with social media and that it's a, a we are leaving the consequences of it, it's the, the rise of extremism because of the bubble as well. Due to algorithms, due to the way information is being distributed online, people are always getting the same type of content. Yeah. This was something that was uh, discussed also 10 years ago. And people, some, some academics actually uh, anticipated that this was going to contribute to the rise of any kind of extremism. Uh, when we talk about extremism, especially here in Europe, people tend to think about ISIS. People tend to think about uh, Islamic ext yeah. extremism. I'm not talking about Islamic extremism. What we saw in New Zealand was exactly the opposite, right-wing exactly. extremism. Mm -hmm. So I'm talking about any kind of extremism because of propaganda. And I think this is not due to social media itself. I think it just makes it, makes it spread faster and more efficiently. Propaganda has always been there since the rise of any kind of social communication, since the uh, print was invented. Propaganda has always been uh, linked to journalism in the way that there is a bl very blurry line, yeah. very blurred line between what can be called propaganda and what can be called journalism. You can use journalism techniques to do propaganda. Mm. This, this is not something that came with social media. Social media just made it faster and more effective. Mm -hmm. And yes, the rise of extremism, I think it's going even uh, stronger. I don't think this is stopping anytime soon. And nowadays, uh, social media platforms are kind of taking their responsibility. Facebook launched last year, Facebook News. So like, a yeah, some sub-platform only for news because people are consuming a lot of news through social media. Mm -hmm. People are also inventing f the fake news debate as well through social media. Mm -hmm. So I think a very nice way that this is getting uh, balanced out is through education. A lot of schools nowadays around the world are giving children lessons on how to discover on, on how to spot fake news, how to see when something, mm, okay, this doesn't really sound quite well. This, mm -hmm. There's something suspicious in here. So yes, uh, that's something that it's also happening because of the spread of social media. And uh, about breaking the bubbles and how to break the algorithms. I, I have a, a personal um, strategy. I have first of all, I make a very conscious decision anytime I click on anything because I know that whatever I click on online, it's going to add to my algorithm. And then I'm suddenly going to start to get more information related to that click that I made. So I think this could be one uh, advice for people. Remember when you're surfing the web, when you're searching for anything online, that anything you click on, it's going to add to that algorithm. So that's one way of starting to break the bubble. And the other is to actively look for information somewhere else. I have a Twitter list. I have a Twitter list of a worldwide news. Mm -hmm. I have another Twitter list of Colombian news. I have another Twitter list for innovation news. And that helps me get content from everywhere in the world mm -hmm. that I want to and kind of make my algorithm go crazy. Mm -hmm. 
So I get yeah. information from everywhere. Yeah, I also make my algorithm crazy. The amount of things I'm Googling, I think Google doesn't really know if I'm like having five personalities because mm-hmm. it really goes from here to there. But those are really great points, I have to say. And uh, I have a, a, I was definitely trying the citizen journalism uh, back in the day. But I have a prediction, which may not come true, that in the future we will surprisingly go very personalized and not local, but I think it will be based on a person. Now I start to see that I look for specific people who Mm -hmm. write and I can trust them, not necessarily because I met them in person, but because in some way I could see their credibility. Mm -hmm. And I think that uh, because if we will try to figure out what's fake, what's not, what's what's proper news, what's propaganda, we would go insane. And I think that at one point we humans will have to make certain choices. And I would definitely read couple of platforms or blogs or uh, people who are journalists that I know I can trust and uh, see content through their eyes, you know. I think this is one of the reasons why niche journalism is booming so much. You no longer go to The Guardian or The Economist or The New York Times or big media. You go to this very specific platform that speaks specifically and very exclusively and very in-depth about the topics that you want to be informed about. Totally. And actually, I uh, I was I don't know if we have enough time to cover it. Probably not. But I was (laughs) looking, (laughs) probably not. (laughs) But I was looking at uh, latest scandals in in business. I was looking at Terranos case and uh, in the past, Aaron, Aaron, how do you pronounce it? This big fake company, gas company in states mm-hmm. that was uh, worth billions. Eron. Enron. Enron. And I was looking at uh, the documentaries and that it was actually in both cases a one investigative journalist that broke the case. Mm-hmm. And what was interesting that in both cases magazines like Fortune or, uh, you know, all this big authorities were making number one cover uh, articles about how great those companies Mm -hmm. are when it was all one big fraud. And then someone is just, you know, breaking down the story and start to, you know, put a little bit of a fork in it. And then you discover it was all lies. So I lost, I lost respect for Fortune magazine Mm -hmm. and for their wonderful 500 most influential, most rich, whatever. And I would definitely switch into following journalists that are breaking cases like this, that really put yes. their ha- heart and reputation because that came with a price. They, was, they were totally butchered, you know, so yes. and attacked. So the digital world gives the power to people. Mm-hmm. Dangerous definitely. or not, there's a huge debate about it, but it definitely gives the power to the people. Journalists no longer need the big media. Yeah. Yeah. And with that note, we will say thank you, Estefania. Mm-hmm. It was a pleasure to have, to you, have you and to listen to you. And we really need a season. <laughs> thank you yeah. so much for inviting me again. This kind of yeah. topic. So thank you so much. And to all our listeners, enjoy your weekend. Or if you're podcast listeners, enjoy your day, <laughs> whichever day of the week you're listening to us. Yes. And Dennis, happy birthday once again. And Thank you, everyone. Bye. Bye bye, guys. 
You are listening to You've Got 5 Options radio show, where we hopefully convinced you that 5 indeed is a magic number. To catch up with our previous programs, apply to be our guest, send us your life challenge, or just to see how do we really look like, visit our website, the5options.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that you will come for more. That's all, folks.